Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Let me talk a little bit more about um, what we started last week in the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. This is not something that is talked about much in the body of Christ. I hate to say that, but this is, uh, this is God. The Spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity, so essential and amazing and important that we are talking about and believing and receiving and acting having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm unashamedly going to talk about the Holy Spirit here. He's, he's important. Even though I realize that for some people, when you mention even Holy Spirit, uh, they're all different kind of reactions and emotions and, oh, no, what's going to happen next? Or yes, or let's just avoid that. When that the, really, my goodness sakes, this is, as I was speaking last week, uh, it's by the way, you can if you missed it, you can watch it on YouTube or um, our Facebook page. Watch the the, the episode, just talk, going through the scriptures and how Jesus was preparing his people, especially at the end through what he called what what we call the, his farewell address, to share with us about what is going to happen when the Spirit comes, and what he will do, what his role is. And so I want to take off from there and continue talking about this Holy Ghost sometimes. He's called the Holy Ghost, breath of heaven, power-giving creative presence of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when Jesus died, then he rose again, the Holy Spirit still wasn't here for everyone, right? You see him throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, in moments, he would maybe come upon someone and they would do something like King Saul. He began to prophesy, even though he wasn't even repentant. Did you see the Holy Spirit came upon him for a moment? The Holy Spirit would move in pockets. And then Jesus talked about something and the prophets began talking about, especially Joel and Ezekiel, prophesying about a day when it wouldn't just be a moment that the Holy Spirit came upon one person, but he would move and live within many people. So this was a buildup for thousands of years of speaking forth who the Holy Spirit is, what he would do, and someday this would come. Well, Jesus, through his farewell address, starts to unpack this in John 14, 15, 16 especially, and starts to explain the Holy Spirit and what he will do. And then, of course, Jesus dies he rises again to life, and once he is risen from the dead, Jesus appears for the first time. We, will, we see him at the, at the tomb as well to Mary, and uh, some see him there, especially Mary saw him. But then after that, on the day of the resurrection, you find 10 of the disciples. Judas had already committed suicide at that point. And Thomas isn't there, so you got 10 in a room, and Jesus shows up. So let's, let's go there. This is John chapter 20, verse 19. Again, this is the first words of Jesus 
to his boys after his resurrection. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, resurrection day, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now, whenever God or an angel says, peace be with you, he's saying that for what reason? You need peace right then, right? So usually scared. And I think these men were afraid, says they were for fear of the Jews, but I also think having a person suddenly appear in front of you when the doors are closed and no one opened the door would also cause some alarm, fear, whatever, especially if they didn't recognize him, which Jesus had a habit of doing once he was resurrected, of showing himself, but people not recognizing who he was. Verse 20, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, holes. The disciples then rejoiced, because they didn't recognize him right off the bat. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he does something so unique. In every translation, it should say the same thing that you have. He breathed on them. Jesus breathes on his guys. That's maybe a bit odd. Jesus does some odd things but they're usually attached to the miraculous. You know, when he spits in the ground, grabs a little mud that he just made with a spit and puts it in a guy's eyes, or takes a saliva from his own tongue and touches someone else's tongue, there's something powerful that's about to happen. Someone is getting healed. Something is, so when Jesus doesn't just do odd things to be odd, he's doing something unusual in our life, in our world, to bring something spectacular, to do something wonderful. And here, he breathes on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. These are his first words when he's getting, after he's resurrected, that he'd been talking about, this is gonna happen. Now he says, he breathes on them. I don't know if he, or, or I'm not sure how he did it. But on 10 guys, I don't know how he, they're all getting his breath. Then he says, receive. So there's something he's inviting them to do. He breathes on them, then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. He immediately starts talking about forgiveness. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. I have a whole other message we'll do talking about forgiveness about this later. I'm not going to go too much into that right now. But he does tie forgiveness immediately following receiving the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit. Receiving the breath of God. So I, I find that this is also interesting. The first time that we see in the scriptures that I can remember, certainly, I'm certain it is, God breathing on someone was when? In the garden, Right? In Eden, when 
God has just formed this first lifeless creature from dirt, formed him perfectly, kind of Adam and Eve together at that point, hadn't pulled Eve out yet. Here's this human, lifeless, and what does God do? The way I picture it is he gets on his knees in the soil, lifts up the man, puts his face on his face, and the first CPR, the breath on the, from the inside of God comes out and he breathes into this creature and he wakes up, eyes open, heart beating, air in the lungs, and a living creature, a living man stands up. That was the first recorded breath of God was that moment. This is number two. God, Jesus, they're in a room with not just one human, but now 10 who are already alive with their outside body. But this day, he's breathing on them for a different purpose. Not to cause their heart to beat, their lungs to breathe, but he is saying, receive the Holy Spirit. <sighs> and he's saying this what is happening, Adam, in a sense, didn't have a choice. He was dead. The breath of God hit him and caused him to come to life. Now you're alive, but you need to do something, and that's simply receive what I am wanting to give you. And then he, breathe, he breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. So powerful, which, again, the Holy Spirit, in some ways throughout the Scriptures, is called the breath of God. The breath of God. The breath speaks of the Spirit. In the Hebrew, the word spirit is ruach. Now, let's say that together, ready? You're gonna roll the R and then the little at the back of the throat, ready? One, two, three, ruach. That is the Hebrew word, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but that's a Hebrew word for spirit. It means breath. So when you see Holy Spirit, it's really Ruach Elohim. It is, that is, Holy Spirit is breath. Spirit, breath. This, how we can understand it is breath, it's spirit. You can't see, but it's, he's so very real. In the New Testament, of course, the Greek word is pneuma, means the same thing. It's a breath. And we are not to just learn about Holy Spirit. We are to receive him. It's completely different. You can learn a whole bunch about the Holy Spirit and never receive him. Completely different. We have been made, we have been created, you've been formed and fashioned, you've been prepared to receive, to receive, to allow, to yield to the breath of God on the inside. That your living body that's already alive with your eyes and your lungs and your heart beating would have something else happen. That the Spirit of God would then move to the inside of you. This is to me one of the things that in my Christian life and for myself, pers for myself personally and what I've watched other people, this seems to be one of the things that maybe is the most misunderstood or the most ignored that I've witnessed in my life. Most Christians, talk about Christians, not just worldly people, Christians, see themselves as I am just right here. The Father and the Son at his right hand are up there, and that's it. I'm doing my thing. 
I'm praying for blessing. I'm praying for guidance, but there's a separation. When in reality, what Jesus has done by the plan of the Father and the Son is to give us an indwelling spirit. God, not just living there, but living here. Most Christians don't walk around with the recognition, the understanding, the belief that God is in me. I'm not God, but he's in me. I am a carrier of him. If we did, we would live differently, right? We would live differently if we really believe that I'm carrier, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm a temple or a house of God. I'm a house for God. So, you know, someone who owns a home, they, when they move in, they're going to make it their own. They want to put the things in there that they like. They want to get rid of the things they don't like. When we moved into our home that we're in, we've been in for seven years, first thing we did was get rid of the ugly curtains and drapes that were in there and change the color through the entire place. Right off the bat, it's like, no, we cannot live. I don't want to live with that. So I want to make a change because this is mine. The Holy Spirit wants to do the same on the inside of each one of us. On the inside of this house, he wants to make changes to make us more like the Son. He wants to convict us of things so that we jettison them. That's like him saying, get rid of those drapes, will you? When there's any type of sin or things that are just wrong thinking or wrong, not forgiving, whatever it is, he is wanting this home, this temple, to be one in which he is comfortable, in which he loves to live in. So the thoughts that we have are the kind of thoughts that he'd like to be thinking, and he'd like you to be thinking. All those things. We can go a lot more on this. But the culmination of creation creation, then the death of Jesus, or the life of Jesus, then the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, always leading towards something. Pentecost. Do you realize that? This was all a journey. It wasn't just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, that's incredible, life-changing, forever history-altering, maybe, um, I don't know, there aren't words to describe how important that is, but that wasn't all. JTB, John the Baptist, prophesied that, the, that Jesus would baptize in the Holy Spirit. The mission of Jesus wasn't just to do those things and then rise from the dead. His mission wasn't done yet. In fact, when that woman's grabbing a hold of him, he said, Mary, not yet. Let go of me. Quit clinging to me. I'm not done. I've got work to do yet. I have to ascend to my Father. And he didn't say this, but here's what he meant. Because we have to send the Holy Spirit so that he will baptize people on the earth who are following me. I'm not finished yet. He was finished with his redemptive work on the cross when he said it's finished. But he wasn't finished with his mission until he ascended back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about here in a couple of weeks. And, but... Jesus is this, in this passage we just read in John, instead of being mistreated, showing people, his followers, his wounds, some tough guys, you got Simon the Zealot in there, 
You got Peter, he's ready for a fight. He already cut some guy's ear off just a few days ago. Instead of Jesus coming back and showing them his wounds, saying, guys, look what they did to me. Form an army, let's go kill them. He does the exact opposite, right? Look what they did to me. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit and start forgiving. Don't be offended by what they've done to me. Don't be offended by what anyone has done to you or will do to you in the future. I want to raise up an army of forgivers who move by the Spirit, who fulfill my purpose on this earth. Jesus does that. His nature is so, God, the nature of God is so different than the nature of man in its natural form. The nature of God is not to raise up an army to kill, it's to give life. And he doesn't coerce or force people to do things. This was a misunderstanding I had growing up too. I, I thought more about the demands of God and the strictness of God than the invitation of Jesus and the invitation of God. The nature of God is to invite. He commands for obedience to keep us from screwing up and doing everything wrong and hurting somebody or ourselves. But he invites to follow him, to believe with, in him, and he invites to be filled with himself. Here's what, you know, <laughs> just the nature of God. Side note again here. The nature of Jesus. Remember the guys on the boat in the storm, crossing to the other side. Jesus had stayed to pray, and then in the middle of the night, he decides to go across the water, just walking on it, rocking on the sea. The guys in the boat see him. They think he's a ghost. They're scared. And Jesus is pretending as though, or acting as though, or his path is such that he's going to go right by them. Like, that's what the Bible says. And they shout out to him. And so that he stops. And then remember the road to Emmaus after Jesus was raised from the dead. He's with these two guys. They can't recognize him. He explains all of the Old Testament to them. Amazing. Speaking about himself. Then when they get to their home, he just pretends like he's going to keep going. It was good talk with you guys. And then they, they stopped. They said, no, 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 don't leave. Can you please come into our house and have a meal with us? So he does. Remember when he's on his way to, uh, I think it was Nazareth, and they have to pass through Samaria. And that the woman at the well in John chapter four. And as soon as he's done prophesying to that woman, he's like, okay, guys, let's get going. And the city, they say, no, don't go, stay, stay. And when they say that, I'm telling you what, that is a word right now. People, if you want him, he will stay. He will be with you. When they said, no, don't keep going, would you stay? He stayed two days in Samaria where he wasn't called to at that time because the people wanted him. He invites, we respond. We ask, he comes. It's the nature of God all throughout. How, are you, how do you get saved? By force? No. By believing. How do you get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit? By receiving. By receiving. He leaves it up to us. You don't have to receive his spirit. No one does, but he says, will you? Will you open up? Will you receive? In Acts chapter one, here he is. He's been on the 
resurrected for 40 days, comes to Acts chapter one. He's about to ascend, gathers everybody, the Mount of Olives. Verse four, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for JTB, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is what you've been waiting for. You didn't realize you were waiting for this, but this is what my father and I have been waiting for for thousands of years, is for this moment to happen. Jesus ties it all together. The prophecy of John the Baptist, the, one of the purposes for his coming is that he would baptize in the Holy Spirit and he's saying, this is my father's plan. This is about to happen. And of course, the word baptize is a Greek word, baptizo. And it means to be submerged, immersed, basically all the way underneath or within. It's not just a touch. It's not a sprinkle. Baptism is to be fully immersed, covered over entirely. So when he says, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not just a little nudge. It's a, it's a waterfall. It's a tsunami. It's a covering over where this, the Spirit completely fills every pore, completely saturates every part. And then he continues on. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, and again, this is right before he's to take off, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom to Israel? They're asking the wrong question. How many times do we do this? Not just them, it's me, it's us. Sometimes we're asking Jesus the wrong question has nothing to do with what he's focused on in this time. But he says to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs, epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't get fixated on when Jesus is going to return, in other words, for us in our moments. Yes, get ready for that. Yes, look toward that. Yes, ask for it. Yes, prepare ourselves for it. But what am I supposed to be doing right now? Here in this moment, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And he still wants us to receive this Spirit to empower us to do what he wants us to do till he returns. I don't want to just sit around and try to figure out the day the Lord's going to come back. That is fruitless, and I'll be wrong. I'll never be able to figure it out. What I am supposed to do is to stay full of the Spirit and do what he wants me to do until he returns. That's what he wants for all of us. If you and I, if we're feeling empty, if we're lacking confidence in any way, lonely, powerless, you ever feel powerless? If you need wisdom, want to figure out where to live, we need the Holy Spirit. We need his baptism, his infilling, his washing over us entirely. 
We need to receive him. In our house, our physical house, you know, when we moved in, it had, uh, it was not connected to water. Electricity was not turned on. It was a shell, just a shell of a place. We were inside, but you know what? It's great. Gonna, got a roof over our head, but water and power are great. They really are. I mean, you, you don't have those two things for a day. and you, You're paying attention. You're recognizing the need for that. We, you and I, are a house, but we're just a shell without the Holy Spirit. But when he is here, you have power, you have refreshing, you have comfort, you have truth, you have joy, you have hope, you have so many things because of him living on the inside. This uh, iPad or my computer or my phone, I have to do something every day for these things. I have to plug them in. If I wait several days, particularly my computer, let's just say it's about an hour and a half is my battery life. Hour and a half of use. If I don't plug that character back in, it is a basically good for nothing. Doorstop. A computer without power does no good whatsoever. You can buy a half a million dollar Ferrari. It looks really nice. It's beautiful. You refuse to put fuel in it, how much is it good for? Nothing. You can't go around the block with it. It just sits there and looks pretty. Does no good. There is always something needed to fuel and empower something beautiful and wonderful. And the Holy Spirit is that for these homes, for these vehicles, for these tools of who you and I are. We need him. We need him. We need him every day. You know, it says that there are basically throughout the, when I was reading the New Testament, I could find four people that stayed full of the Holy Spirit. Not just who had some, but who stayed full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was one, Paul, Barnabas, and I think Philip. They stayed full of the Holy Spirit. See, there is a difference between people who are not full and those who are. Those who are fully charged up, fully filled, have the water connected and the power, and those who don't. I learned a lesson in this. When I was 18 years old, I had a good friend. He became my best friend. I've shared about him many times before. His name was Joe Williams. He'd been a pastor for 40 years in the Assembly of God. He'd retired, and he'd been retired for years, and he was 87. And I used to go to his home when I was 18 every week. In his little tiny apartment, lived by himself. His wife had passed away, and he was so full of God. It was, it'd be scary, honestly. He could see Six angels in his home all the time, which is interesting. And when I walked in the first time I met him, introduced myself, his eyes shining like crazy, a little spooky almost, how much he was radiating. And he says, uh, he looks at me like I'm looking at Andy here. He says, uh, how long have you had that back issue? Now, I had been working at UPS and I had messed up my back. I was going to the chiropractor three times a week and that was a little weird. I said, uh, I told him. He said, well, there's a, you didn't just hurt it. There's a little spirit wrapped around it. Would you like me to get that off there for you? I said, yeah. <laughs> Have at it. Pray for this right here. So that was this man, Joe. Here's the other thing he said to me. He said, um, one day when I went over there, he said, oh, he's like he was looking. You know, when you're in your vehicle, you get all these gauges right there. They're telling you what's going on with your vehicle. The one you pay the most attention to, in addition to speed, 
is fuel level, right? So I walked in there to Joe's house one day and he looked at me and he said, uh, ooh, you're low on the Holy Spirit. Now, it was as if he, I had this fuel gauge right here, and the needle is on E. That's how I look to him, in a sense. And when he said it, that sounds like a mean thing to say to someone. Like if I say to you, hey, you're low on the Holy Spirit, you could go be offended. I wasn't, because it was as if he was just reading what he saw, and I recognized the moment he said it, yes, I am. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's true. That is true. He said, do you know how to get refilled? And I said, no. So he took me through this small exercise. He shared a couple of scriptures. And I've been doing that since I was 18 till I'm 53 now. Over and over and over in my life. I do it before I come up here on stage. I do it throughout the day. Jesus said, oh, receive the Spirit. Here's what Joe said for himself. He said, I picture myself at the bottom of a waterfall and I step into the waterfall and I look up and I open my mouth and I allow the waters of God to flow into me. That's how he did it. Not that everybody has to do it that way. But there's, what happens when you open your mouth? Well, let's, I'm gonna skip a bunch of stuff here and just, let's just go there. Ephesians chapter five, let's just read this first. I'm closing here. Ephesians chapter five. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know that you and I are supposed to understand what the will of the Lord is. If we don't, we're foolish. And it's, if you read the verses ahead of that, he's basically, he's talking about the culture that we can be in, the worldly ways of thinking, immorality, he says flee immorality. Then he says here, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another, this is a result, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So how does a person get drunk? Just naturally, because the Lord is always taking natural things to show us spiritual realities. You see that all through the scriptures, all through the scriptures. Here's something natural. It is not just a natural thing. Yes, it is, but it's not just that. It speaks of something spiritual over and over and over again. We could talk on that the rest of the day. So when he says, don't be drunk with wine, how does, a, how does one get drunk? Well, you pour alcohol of some sort into something or just take the cap off of it, and you tilt your head back, you open your mouth, and you pour it, and you receive it. You're allowing this in. You're receiving this beverage into you, and not just one, there's another. And there's, you get drunk by doing this multiple times. This is how you, a person gets drunk, right? Would everybody agree with that? Am I misleading anyone in that? This is, this is how you get drunk. Now, Paul says here, instead of that, don't do that. Instead of that, get filled with the Spirit. So if that is the shadow or the analogy of getting drunk, what about getting filled with the Spirit? Well, you need to allow Him in. You need to receive 
him in. I'm not going to receive alcohol. I'm going to receive the spirit of the living God. And it takes seconds. It takes seconds. It takes a minute. It doesn't take any time at all to stay full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot more about this in the next couple of weeks. But to stay full of the Holy Spirit, you just need to receive him. And it's all by faith. It's all by faith. You know, when I was um, a new, well, I'd been a Christian for about 10 years or so. I was a teenager, about 17. And I had not been filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me put it that way. And I wanted it. I want this that God, that Jesus said I could have. And I was begging him and begging him. And then I realized, there was a moment that I realized, you receive this by faith. I was waiting for something to smack me upside the head, waiting for my body to shake uncontrollably, for my tongue to start flapping, and it didn't happen that way. It was by receiving by faith what Jesus so did everything to give. And it says in Luke chapter 11 that the Father wants us to have the Holy Spirit more than we do. He earnestly, he really desires that we would have the Spirit. And if we would ask him, he would not withhold. If we would ask him, he's a good father, he won't withhold the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks, is what the Bible says. But we have to ask him. Again, this is just like walking on the water. Walking. <laughs> but we can say, no, hold, hold it, stop. You said, I heard you say this one time, it's in the Bible, that I can receive your Spirit. I want him. I want that help, I want that comfort, I want that truth, I want that spirit of God that leads me, I want power to be a witness, I want illumination and revelation, I want to be changed on the inside, I can't change myself, I've tried, but I want the spirit of God to do what I cannot do. I want him, I need him. Okay, we'll share some more next week. But let's do this. Would you do this with me together? You don't have to. Again, this is an invitation. You don't have to do anything. There's freedom in that. There really is. I've been in churches in my life where the pastor or the leader of the evangelist, whatever, says, you do this. Stand up right now. Do this. Bend over. Raise your hand. You know, all that. That is not how God is. He is not that way. He is all powerful. If, he's, if there's a command, then there's a danger and you need to be listening for sure. It is to save, to save you, to help you. But as far as what he has to give, he says, receive it. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.